This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now, this week, we've got a really exciting announcement, and that is that on the 4th of December, we're going to be releasing the biggest ever clothing collection that we've ever done. The winter range is going to comprise of last year's winter jacket, we brought back in a brand new colour, and added a really warm fleece lining to the inside. We've also got an amazing fisherman's sweater. Alongside that, we've got a selection of t-shirts. They're all going to have a petroglyph-style design. So we're going to have Odin riding Sletnir. We're going to have Thor with his goats. We've got Frey and his boar. We've also got Freya and her cats. So for those that like things a little bit more simple, we're going to have a couple of t-shirts. They're going to have a petroglyph-style version of our logo on there. We've also got a selection of hats and scarves. So whatever you do, just check out the website on the 4th of December and you're going to see some amazing new products. And don't forget, the listeners of the podcast get an extra 10% off anything store-wide with the code HORNS10. So that's the code HORNS10, which will get you 10% off everything store-wide, including the new range. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns Vodin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello. Our guest today is Dr. Luke John Murphy, who is currently a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Iceland. Um, he's a specialist in pre-Christian Scandinavian um, religion, and he works, um, among other things, with... Um, uh, well, the Easter Bunny, but aside from the Easter Bunny, <laughs> <laughs> who is not Scandinavian necessarily? I just I feel I have to point out in this context that that is true. Yes, yes, uh, not Scandinavian and such. Um, uh, but aside from that, we're, you also have uh, worked a little with um, uh, the Blood Eagle and uh, as a, as a torture, a way of torturing people, and whether or not it's actually even true. Um, so, yeah, uh, Luke, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me both. Yeah, a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for, for joining us. And obviously, it's a very welcomed accent. You know, we don't get too many Brits on here. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to, to balance the scales a bit. Although, again, in in, in open honesty, uh, I'm not entirely British. I just have the accent. I grew up there. Oh, yeah. No, I, you said before the show, You is it Ireland that you're, you're from? Yeah, but I'm an Irish citizen, but I, I grew up and went to school in Coventry. Um, I mean, I've got to say, before the show, you did use the word crap, and that's the most <laughs> that's the most British thing that anyone can ever say. I tell you what, though, it's, it's whenever I'm on the phone to the family, the Irish accent comes out. I'm on Skype or Riverside FM or, or whatever this program is called with you now. It's going to be super British. Um, I'm going to be dropping T's left, right, and centre. Dead centre. There you go. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. We can we can bully Mateus for once, rather than it being the the two Scandinavians on me. <laughs> I tell you what, I dread to think. Well, gonna, to it. It, it, I dread to think what well, this is going to do. My Danish accent tomorrow. It's going to be swallowing even more letters than usual. <laughs> so, where are you now? Are you you in Denmark at the minute? Yeah, I am. So, like Mateus said, I, I work at the University of Iceland. Um, but I live in Denmark, which I know is a hell of a commute in the best of times. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen my office since February, which I know a lot of people haven't. Um, but you know, my office is several thousand kilometers away. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just feeling very grateful. I didn't leave anything too important there. Okay. So how, uh, 
how does that work? How is it kind of just you get your your base is Iceland, but you get assigned into Denmark to No, no, it's all I mean in this instance it's actually quite official, which surprised me. But basically at the stage of the academic career that Matthias and I are at, um, we have like <laughs> we've no power. We don't get to choose anything. We just get short-term contracts, short-term contracts, and we've got to go where the work is. And I've got a, a partner who's got her own life here and we're very settled and this is like our family home. And so for the last four years, I've been bouncing around from university to university. Purely like by luck, essentially, I got a very understanding boss in Iceland who was like, you don't want to live full-time in Reykjavik? Um, yeah, no problem. Just, you know, as long as the work gets done, um, she is she's relaxed about where I actually live. So before the pandemic kicked in, I was going to Iceland like once a month or once every six weeks or so. Oh, wow. So that's quite cool. So, so do you teach in Denmark as well? Is that kind of how it Bits, bits it and works? pieces. Um, I mean, again, it's not, not officially, it's not part of my, my job at the University of Iceland to teach anywhere but the University of Iceland. And my, the amount of teaching I do there is really small. Like I mostly, okay. super, mostly supervise student research. So like uh, I get master's students come and, and write theses with me. Um, but that's just all over Skype anyway. Um, but no, just kind of because I, I know local people and they've got me here, I get rope, roped in, I get dragged in to teach on various things in Denmark here. This is such a foreign world to me. Like it doesn't, it's completely different to anything I know. It seems so strange that you could work in Iceland but live in Denmark. I, I said so like a lot of uh, a lot of Danes do live either. So they, a lot of Southern Danes will work in Germany and like go shopping in Germany and stuff. So they have this like this category of of border worker or, or the same. Like the Copenhageners will go across to Sweden and they'll live in Southern Sweden because it's way cheaper than living in Copenhagen. They'll just commute. Um, so they've got this like tax category, which is is border worker, and I, I had to like fill in the paperwork, and it was like border worker, and then tick the box for Germany or Sweden, and I had to kind of write in other <laughs> Iceland, um, which was weird to explain over the phone, but yeah, they, they accepted it in the end, so I'm I'm legally a resident in Denmark, which is nice. I mean that that's insane to me. I used to you know when I when I was a plumber before the whole Hans of Odin thing, I. I used to complain if I had to drive half an hour to work. <laughs> I was like, I was like, fuck this. this that's miles away. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I had it, I had it the other way around at my last job. I was in Leicester. Um, and when I wanted to come home, like, so I, I had a flat in Leicester. And I lived there most of the time and I'd come home for like a long weekend every now and then, like as often as I could. It would take me a day. Like I'd, I'd get up at Leicester. I'd, I'd leave the flat at like 6am, get on the first train down to Stansted airport and fly over like uh, Ryanair had a direct line. I hope it survives the pandemic to uh, to Aarhus where I live now. Um, and I would I get in the door at about half past four, five o'clock in the afternoon. So it was like a proper full on day of traveling um, on top of like you know the actual toll that being on an airplane and then a train and all the rest of it takes you. And I've been cramped into a little seat. Um, I was knackered all the time, constantly, absolutely yeah. constantly. Um, but I'm lucky I've got a partner who has put up with it until now. Um, I'm not sure she'd be very keen on me going back to doing that kind of thing. I'm not sure I would be very keen on going back to doing that again. No, you know, sure. at some point, you know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm too old for this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're here obviously to speak about the Blood Eagle, um, which I guess is, and most people listening, I think, will have heard of it. And it's kind of, I guess I kind of almost see it as like the ultimate Viking bro thing. 
Like it's very, <laughs> you see, you see mentioned by those kind of like, you know, you know, the type I mean on the very Viking bros on, on Facebook and Instagram. And it's like the blood Eagle I'm, and they'll comment in something odd, oh, blood, blood Eagle him or whatever. And it's like, it's just, you know, it, it's that kind of macho masculine thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been in Vikings twice now. Um, <laughs> I think it's, that's it's, probably where most, I would say most people maybe learn it from, um, especially the first time it was in the Vikings. They made it very, <clears throat> it was quite a graphic scene and they showed quite a lot of it. So I think most people learn it from there. I think it might have even featured in The Last Kingdom as well, but I'm not sure. Oh, has it? I should probably try. I should not, look that it up. might not have, but I feel yeah. like it may, or it may have been mentioned. It's a feature in Midsummer as well. The, oh, that uh, one I've the, seen. That one yeah. I've seen. Particularly yeah, creepy. That we spoke about. We actually spoke about that a few episodes ago. Did and you? How insane! Oh yeah, how insane it is. Yeah. No, it's a creepy movie. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, All right, I'm trying to think if anywhere so, else I've seen it. Yeah. No, I I don't know if I've actually seen it anywhere else. Like in, um, in like media i'm kind of I, so i don't know if you guys have played assassin's creed valhalla yet i'm kind of waiting for it to turn up there I, I'd, I'd be surprised if it didn't um and as, as much as I've, I've enjoyed the assassin's creed games in the past I, I i might i don't know if i can play this one it might hit a little bit too close to home you know oh, I, I i definitely i will play it i i'm of the other persuasion where i i can just like separate it away and kind of be like okay this is just fun fantasy and it's quite cool because it has a few little easter eggs in it but other than that it, it is what it is and i'll just separate it aside from the historical version i'm pretty good at I that see, kind of i've been able to do that with all of the others until now um because i didn't know enough about the like the time period and that um just oh yeah yeah pirates yeah great i love pirates who doesn't um i'll definitely give it a go but we'll, we'll have to see how long i can i can stomach it yeah have a go so so the blood eagle let's i mean let's start out maybe by saying what it is okay so we're talking about the you know it turns up on facebook and you get screen grabs from films and stuff and you see it on 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 vikings and what we understand a common understanding of the blood eagle is that it's a way of executing somebody or you know it's a torturous thing but you're not torturing them for information you're deliberately torturing them to death um by uh, it's usually you, you tie their arms out or you kind of uh, bend them over something and then you cut open their back and fold out their ribs uh, to form the you know the wings of the eagle, the bloody eagle. Um, basically, you're going down each side of the spine and, and folding out and then from each part of the, the what the medics call the thoracic cavity, like your body, um, you pull out the lung and you put the lungs on the spread ribs. Um, and there's some descriptions that like, you know, they have those lungs. I think this is in Midsummer. Um, they have those lungs then kind of beating outside the body. Yeah, that's, and that's it, yeah. Yeah, and so that's like the fluttering of the wings. Um, and then you get like, so some of the descriptions we've got are, are people kind of, you know, bearing up to this bravely and appropriately. And I think this was the first one in Vikings where the guy isn't actually tied up. He's he's kind of suffering it stoically. Um Oh, and then there's there's some other descriptions where it's like you know someone suffers this and is a complete coward and so it's kind of like it's not just a, a torturous way of killing people; it's also a way of revealing someone's character. How do they react to this horrific torture? Oh, I mean, I'd be I'd be crying like a baby. 
I would be, I'd be, I'd be sobbing. There'd be snot dripping out my nose. I would be, I would be completely pleading for my you? life. Or would you? This, so this, this is where me and my colleagues came in. So that's that's like the um, the, the popular understanding of what a bloody gull is. But in in academic circles, since um, when was it? it? Would be the late eighties. Uh, there was this kind of famous debate between two of the big giants in the field. Um, Roberta Frank on the one side and a guy called Bjartny Enerson, an Icelander on the other, who argued about, did this ever actually really happen? Um, and generally speaking, it seems Roberta Frank convinced most people that, you know what, the whole thing is is made up. It's a misunderstanding, either accidental or deliberate, um, where the oldest source we've got is actually a piece of poetry. Uh, it's called Knudstrauper. And it's skaldic poetry, if, if that tells anything, if that says anything to you, uh, to you in the audience. Um, but this stuff is really, really hard. Like the word order is completely all over the place. It's really kind of confusing. They use lots of, of unusual terms and stuff. So it's very difficult to understand, deliberately so. And this was kind of part of the fun. It was halfway between rap and riddles when it was performed. Um, so you were supposed to kind of sit down afterwards and memorize it and then figure out what happened. Um, and, and what Roberta Frank basically said is that someone someone composed one of these poems that had uh, kind of a, a motif like a pic a, a visual picture of someone's back and an eagle um and what most people haven't understood is that this wasn't composed in kind of regular west norse the kind of standard uh viking language as it were um it was composed in an anglo-scandinavian dialect like the sort of of old norse that was spoken by the um that hybrid society that you get in like the last kingdom um, where it's, it's kind of part Anglo-Saxons or kind of early English uh, speakers um, and part, part kind of Norwegians or Danes or, or old Norse speakers. And so that's actually played with, with the language a bit. Um, and so we've all misunderstood this poem. There wasn't an Eagle getting cut into someone's back. It was just, there was a literal Eagle who cut someone's back. Um, and so okay. it's this, this motif of the dude is dead lying face down and there is a carry-on eater tearing at his his back. Which is something that eagles do, I guess. They absolutely do. Um, so, I mean, there's videos of eagles picking up goats and, and all sorts, I guess. So... What was what was the name of that Greek philosopher? There's a famous Greek philosopher, I've forgotten which one, who died when an eagle dropped a rock on his head. Because this is how that, that particular Greek eagle hunts for tortoises, by dropping rocks on them to crack the shells. It's ringing some vague bell. Obviously, we also have, of course, the myth of Prometheus, who gets yep. tied to a rock and all that stuff, and eagle at his liver. Yeah, no, I mean... Eagles, uh, in context of uh, carrion eating or, or, or you know, uh, eating a body, is very standard, I would say, in in uh, all over Europe and also, of course, in, in in Old Norse poetry. Not only Old Norse, also Old English. This is something that Old English and Old Norse poetry shares, is this motif of the beasts of battle, which is the eagle, the raven, and the wolf. Um, and these are the three animals that will kind of turn up after a battle and eat corpses. Um, so one way you can kind of elliptically refer to a battle without being as gauche as to say there was a battle is to say that like the wolf was well fed. I guess the last time I remember was when a, I, I, there was a cat that was run over outside and I took our dogs for a walk and I just remember hearing this this noise of like, it was the crows that were just kind of squawking and, and, and howling almost. And they must, they must have been like 20, 30 of them in the air just circling because the 
the car has obviously been run over. It was in the middle of the road. So none of them wanted to go down into the road to get it because they knew that the cars were going to get them. So they were just circling. And I mean, it was an horrific noise. And before I realized kind of what had happened, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? It was almost apocalyptic and just these, these, you know, these crows swirling in the noise. I was like, oh my God. And it was just like, once I figured out it was a cat that obviously did realize that it was, it was food. It was dinner time. Well, they reckon, um, sorry, they don't reckon, they, they've, they've proven, they've documented that uh, in the wild, ravens and wolves will form like, um, oh, I've forgotten the word for it, where two species uh, live and work together. Um, but but basically, like a, a raven will adopt a wolf and will lead the wolf to, to prey so that when the wolf has eaten most of the big stuff and kind of left the bones and bits of gristle and whatever, the raven will happily pick at those. Like symbiosis? Is that symbiosis, what? there we go. Yes. <laughs> you can tell which one of us is in the morning of his time zone as opposed to the evening of his time zone. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to get back to the Blood yes, Eagle. Blood Eagle, right. Um, obviously, that that's the earliest you, we know of it. And I guess that like you say that could be taken either way. Do right. we know? Do we know kind of of it? Because because obviously, I mean, in in the poem, I'm assuming it doesn't say they cut the ribs; they fold they fold them out and pull. So so where does that come from? Because obviously, I've, or has that been kind of made up after to explain how you would make an eagle? That's the debate. Um, so the the poem says that you know there was an eagle something something his back, um, and then so even the poem itself isn't composed like on the spot. Um, it's composed in like 1020s, 1030s um, for Knut the Great, who's who's coming over from Denmark. Uh, but it's referring back to an earlier Viking invasion of the British Isles, uh, back in the the when are we 860s, 870s. Um, so there's this kind of whole like over a century um, that the po- the poet is kind of calling back to. And then it's exactly the same thing. So we we have medieval texts from the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries kind of prose texts most of them are old norse and there's a single one in latin um that describe a blood eagle is sorry it, is, the, is, the, is the latin one is that dudo's um, history of the normans no it's not uh it's saxo grammaticus huh isn't um, there also a i thought there was a um a reference to it in um in the uh, yeah the history of the normans if there is i missed it um so I might have to check this after tomorrow at work. First um, <laughs> so, and it might be just me mixing something up here, but I feel like there is a, there is a um, example of somebody who gets punished. Um, but it could also be an interpretation. There's like this weird uh, reference in Dudo um, in his history of the Norman, uh, where, where he says that um, they will... Uh, these pagans, they will uh, uh, spread people's bodies out um, as some kind of sacrifice to Thor or something like that. I, I might be uh, me uh, uh, conflating a couple of things here, but uh, but yeah, no, I, th- I thought there was one reference okay. uh, in there. Leave, leave it with me; I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, um, but but you're absolutely right, Dan. Basically, then we've got these these later texts, and they're more detailed. Um, and so some of them just say, or it kind of, the implication is they've cut the shape of an eagle into into someone's back. 
Um, so that that's Saxo Grammaticus Matthias. That's that's like the one Latin one. It literally uses the Latin word figurante, meaning kind of the shape, the outline, the form of an eagle, and then mm. it describes how they they rub salt in the wounds. Okay, so that'd be more like a with a knife you would just draw an eagle and then that add the just salt. Sounds just incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a really bad tattoo is yeah, yeah but apparently, he, apparently he dies from it so you know they might have been cutting with a steak knife um, yeah, gone okay. deep enough exactly exactly i mean I'd, I'd still wouldn't want anyone to carve an eagle into my back whether it was deep or not deep yeah agreed wholeheartedly agreed i mean you know that there are you know there are archaeologists out there who try and like you know, reconstruct stuff and kind of do experimental archaeology living like vikings great I'll give that I'll give that weekend a miss. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so we like you say you've got them drawing on it. So I've I got guess them drawing on it. But so then there's another there's another bunch of texts from kind of the same period from that that same kind of later period um, where it's really involved and they they kind of do the full blood eagle as it were the full almost the full eagle as we've come to know it um, from Vikings where they cut the ribs down the spine. They crack the ribs open and they pull the lungs out. Um, and in one of them, at least, that, that actually says, like, this is what the blood eagle was. It's really quite explicit. Um, and in all of these cases, there's there's nine texts, including the poem, um, the, the victim dies. Um, like, this isn't something you do, even though they're kind of fairly superficial ones, don't appear to be something that was done um, just to punish someone. It was done to kill them. And I guess it's to make a statement as well. It's almost that that putting somebody on a on a pike outside outside the hall. You know, it's it's you've you fucked up. So here here you go. And and here I guess here's a message to anybody else who's maybe thinking of doing the same thing. Spot on. I mean, like you know, if you want to kill someone, just stab them. They'd be just as dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so kind of to come back to the project that that I've been working on, um, I didn't realise quite how much effort and work one of these things would be. Like I just kind of I read this text. And, oh yeah, you know you crack the ribs and whatever. Um, but I've been working on this on this little project with um, three three medical doctors um, who basically took a long hard look at all of these these descriptions and tried to work out is this even anatomically possible? Um, like so so exactly as we were talking about. Like you you've got to crack the ribs. I think you actually used the word bend earlier, Dan. I mean ri- ribs don't bend easily. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, so what we did was we basically sat down and went through it all with a fine tooth comb. Um, and, and the medics and anatomists have come away and said, look, this is technically possible to do all this stuff. Um, but and there's a huge rake of, of um, kind of complications that just never occurred to you know, historians and archaeologists like Matthias and myself. Um, as we don't deal with living people and living people are complicated. They get blood everywhere. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been crying and screaming, Dan. You wouldn't have been able to breathe okay. very soon after this whole process started. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as you you break into the thoracic cavity, wait, the bit where your lungs are, your lungs shrivel up to like the size of fists. Um, and they definitely don't beat. Yeah, for some reason, the movie Three Kings always comes to mind whenever that, that kind of comes up. He has to put... He, I don't know if it's the same thing, but he has like a thing that he puts in his chest where he has to let air That's out. That's it. That's it. For some reason, that always sticks with me. Is is I think it's George Clooney, and he's uh, handcuffed at the end with his arms behind his back, and he's like going to die, and he needs to turn this little valve. And obviously, just before he dies, he uh, 
get to do it. Sorry if I've just spoiled that for anyone, but it is it is maybe twenty year old. <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's been like fifteen years since I watched that. I, you know, I do not remember it at all. But that's exactly it. So like when I did uh, when I did first aid courses and stuff um, in the TA, like we were given these plasters. Uh, one-sided plasters with valves on and if someone got shot in the chest it was a sucking chest wound and you could hear the air um, you were supposed to stick wipe off the blood stick this thing on and then suck the excess air out so their lung could still inflate and deflate yeah so that that's what i guess that's what it will be so you like you say you have to have that that equal pressure i guess in there so like you say as soon as you cut through the back and through the ribs then you, I guess you're you're pretty much dead then. Well, that's it. I mean, you, you can't breathe. Um, like you can't even attempt to breathe because because making all those cuts as well severs the muscles, including like diaphragm down at the down at the bottom here that that allow you to breathe in and out. So you you know you, you're going to be unconscious in a matter of seconds. Um, so if, if they were doing the kind of superficial thing, just carving into your back, you're probably going to you know you're going to die from blood loss on the spot, or you're going to survive and die from an infection. Um, but all of our text says so and so dies on the spot, so we're thinking, right, let's, let's let's see what happens if you were to actually carve into somebody. Um, basically, as soon as you puncture that, they're they're going to start asphyxiating. So um, I assume we can kind of rule out that that Viking scene where the the lungs are beating. So so that we can kind of just get rid of that right off the bat. Wouldn't happen. Um, but I remember the first, the first blood eagle that like he gets halfway through and then the dude's hand falls off the post he's holding on and they kind of make eye contact in a manly way. And, and then he puts his hand back on yeah, again, yeah. just not going to happen. You're going to be unconscious even before, even before you get to, to breaking into the cavity, because to get into the cavity and, and kind of break away the ribs, you've got to cut all, not only the skin, but the muscles have got to come off the back as well. Well, that's, um, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Now you, now you said it, you know, you've got some pretty big. Um, yeah. I think is your latimus dorsi is your big spot on, yeah. Your big thick muscles at the at the back, and they're not you know they're not small muscles. It takes a little bit of cutting through, and I imagine it's quite painful. Yeah, totally. Um, and you would probably have bled to death. Okay. Um, by the time they've got all those muscles off, um, you you fall unconscious once you've lost half of your blood, and you start getting kind of dizzy and out of it, and and not coherent anymore. Once you've lost, I think thirty three percent of your blood. Um, and the more cuts you make, the more skin and soft tissue you remove, the quicker the blood flows out. Um, basically, if you're doing this huge, complicated, bloody ritual to someone, you're doing most of it to a corpse. Okay. Like so it's, the, it's kind of a, a statement, I guess. And well, that's, that's and you're what we be, reckon. You're going to be put somewhere after, I assume, for people to see. Well, that's never actually described. Um, so like we do, we absolutely have, uh, Matthias jump in here with, with examples, uh, I'm sure. Um, we've got, like the display conspicuous display of dead bodies like that is absolutely a part of of late iron age nordic culture so uh like hanging sacrifices with adam of bremen um like the, the bodies are, are literally hanged from the trees of the temple and presumably are left there um or um ibn which one is he is it ibn al-tatushi um who is a, a jewish uh travel writer from the moorish caliphate in spain goes up to southern denmark and he's like oh these danes when they sacrifice to their god um they cut the head off the animal and put it on a stick outside their house so everybody can see their sacrifice <laughs> okay like, put exactly as you said putting stuff outside for, and putting bits of bodies outside to be seen is a huge part but it's never mentioned in these texts which is either like suspicious maybe this is this stuff is being made up by christian monks because they didn't understand the poetry 
or it's something a little bit different to some of the the more mainstream um, kind of body display stuff um, <laughs> in, in Viking culture. Which I is, guess, or maybe maybe it could be like a spectacle where the 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 village would come around and watch almost almost the way the public hanging used to be kind of you know back a couple of hundred years ago like everybody would come and they'd watch and and it would be a spectacle i completely agree i, I think that's what it was i think it wasn't the the thing seeing afterwards i think it was the doing that mattered mm-hmm. um it was like the process and once it was done you know the, the guy's corpse was whatever they would usually do with the the corpse um but you touched on an interesting thing they're talking about the village this wasn't like done for or in front of like villagers, ordinary people. This is something that like the the martial elite are doing to each other. Like the 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 toughest of the Viking warriors, the professional warriors, um, are the people who who do this um, and who have this done to them. This is like um, a high end thing, like a military thing. Um, mm. So this I don't think has been has been commented on before. But the Blood Eagle seems to be a revenge ritual. Um, it's done by usually rulers, um, kind of kings and princes and things, to other uh, would-be rulers or, in, in some cases, other ki- other kings and princes. Before I would say, just before we go too far down that route, I just thought maybe if we just jumped back to whether it's physically possible. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Let, let, let's let's kind of finish that off, and then we can go kind of like down the. Because that sounds really interesting, kind of like who does it and 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 what. Because I just assumed it was could be done to anybody, which is sound, obviously sounds not. But like, yeah, so let's so we're kind of at cutting through the muscle, and then I guess you've got to get through the through the ribs, which right yeah. isn't going to be necessarily easy. Is not so the, the saga sources, the descriptive sources say that you know a sword is used, which is a crap implement to to break ribs with, right? Because you're either going to go too deep and the, the dude is immediately going to choke to death um, and, and you're, or you're going to cut his heart just by, again, presuming, assuming he's face down, you're going to go into the heart. Um, but there are so many ribs and not just the ribs connected to the spine, the bone connection. There's also all these ligaments, really tough, strong ligaments. And so I, I thought it was interesting that all the written sources bar one say a sword is used. Um, the other says it's a, a sax, which is like a, a fighting knife, like a combat knife, this big, single-edged. It's like a, it's kind of still kind of a short sword, though. It's bigger than a, it's a lot bigger than a dagger. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't, they don't usually have a hilt. Um, so it's, I, I would have said it was more like a, a big, it's a big knife. Um, but it, we're also like, we, we've got big knives or short swords from several centuries of like, you know, all, all across Scandinavia, and they're different. Because people made them differently, so you know who knows what exactly was in the guy's head when he wrote this particular description. Um, okay. He might have been thinking of something quite specific. Uh, but the, the Vikings TV show, they they swap out for a little hatchet. It's got to have a really really small hatchet, so we can hack at the ribs. Um, That's fine, yeah. But again, you, you've got to risk going straight through and killing the guy outright. Yeah, you almost want kind of like bolt cutters, I guess. Spot on. So this is this for me was one of the most interesting things. It was like um, I, I feel like my sadistic, my sadistic side's coming out. <laughs> you think thinking about this a little bit too carefully. <laughs> yeah. You know, knowing the names of the muscles and all that kind of stuff, I'm getting suspicious. Um, I'm just gonna check what it's called. But there is there's a a stone, a Gotlandic picture stone. Does that does that say anything to you? 
Well, to me, of course, but yeah, sorry, done. <laughs> um, so, so on Gotland, they've got these these big stones. They're like um, two, three meters tall, uh, and they're, they're a little bit like comic strips. They're carved with figures in little boxes. Um, and we don't know if they tell stories or anything. Some people think some of them do. Um, but there's there's one carving. There's a panel on the Stora Hammers It uh, stone, which is from the from the Viking Age. And there's there's this picture where one one man is bending another man over something, um, and there's some weird symbols around it and some potentially Odinic imagery. And he's got a spear in the other hand. And so I, I was talking about swords and knives with my my anatomical. Uh, colleagues and they were like but what about that one with the spear what one with the spear um so we don't know if this this panel is actually a blood eagle or not but this got us talking about spearheads and basically we, we took a look at some viking age spearheads and most of the spearheads have little they call them lugs so if you imagine like this pen is is the top of a spear shaft there's there's little bits that stick out yeah um, okay and during the Viking Age, those are mostly mostly decorative. They don't have much function because they're quite small. Um, but we were talking about, well, if you've got big enough ones, what you can actually do is you could catch those over the top of the rib, hold the haft with both hands, and just yank towards yourself. And the word that, that one of my co- colleagues used was you could unzip the ribs. Okay. okay. So basically, <laughs> instead of like a dozen, like you know, a dozen twenty tiny little strikes all the way through and getting a knife and cutting the ligaments, which takes forever and is hard work, you just do it twice down each side. Um, but it would still require a lot of strength. It would, but one person could do it. You're going through bone, though. I feel like to get through a bone, you'd have to saw it almost. You could crack them, apparently. So, so this this guy has done. Um, just, I don't know if he's if he's done this particular thing. Probably not. Um, but he's he's performed, uh, you know, surgical stuff as as far as I understand it. Um, and he assures me that this this is totally possible. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess it depends on how they attached. I mean, I'm. I'm clearly just speculate but it depends on how they attach to the actual vertebrae column you know the column um i guess it would be quite flimsy and when you think of a rib it's quite long and wraps around where it attaches i imagine you would crack if you gave it a little bit of little bit of force well that's that's what the, the anatomists have, have told me is so that they they've referred in our in a written formal uh, study they've referred to this this uh study of car crashes because exactly that if you've got kind of blunt force on the front of the body it can happen that your entire ribs push backwards and they snap next to the spine um so that is a kind of a brittle point is my understanding and i, I should probably say now that i might be i hope i'm not misrepresenting anything the medics have said if i am it's my fault not theirs <laughs> okay <laughs> nice nice little disclaimer there. yeah yeah gotta get it in otherwise i'll be in trouble <laughs> okay so so, so let me just okay now there are some interesting things that are happening in my brain because um you're talking about odinic imagery obviously the store hammer uh one uh that's that's the that's the stone that has the um um what do you call those uh, the, the little uh the three interlaced tr- uh, triangles too right so you know exactly. everybody who's into like biking and stuff has seen this somewhere um, exactly. I, um so, so there's that um and then we have this person doing this to him and if that's actually a blood eagle thing it's it's interesting that uh, it's all it's all laced in, in um, Odinic imagery. And, of course, we also know that Odin has a tendency to show up as an eagle 
once in a while. So, so, so there are things going on here. That's I mean, exciting. There are two bird shapes on either side of this this potential blood eagle. I'll be honest yeah. with you, I, I'm not convinced this is a blood eagle. It could be. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but I think, unfortunately, the stone isn't that well preserved. It would have been painted in the Viking Age, which would have made, made stuff a lot easier to see. All the paints worn off. So we've got basically two colours. It's black and white, and it's it's hard to tell. Um, yeah. And I've, I've checked, actually, they've got uh, just, just last, last year, earlier this year, um, a guy went around and did like 3D scannings um in like super fine detail and even with that we can't tell um but it, it could be it it's possible that this was a bloody um as as we understand it i mean what what else could it be uh so yeah no. so the the figure that's being bent forward is really small um it's like half the size of the adults and like they didn't do scale the way we do scale but it it could be a child. Um, and the thing it's being bent over, that could be, it, it looks like it's some sort of uh, structure with, with horizontal and vertical kind of frames to it. So that could have been absolutely something, some sort of frame for torturing people on, or it could just be a chair um, or it could be a chest. I mean, we've got, we've got storage that stories that are just as old as these ones about children being hidden in chests. Um, so, who knows? There are there are so many other possibilities. Well, actually, for some reason, I have always um, thought of it as as a uh, an example of somebody being drowned in a well. Totally. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. So this is why I keep looking off to the side. It it could be that. It could be a drowning. Yeah, okay. because it, you know it it could be that type of ritual scene as well. You know, we we have a, I'm I'm going by memory here, but I think we have a tree next to them as well, right? Um, it could could be tree branches, could be an eagle's claws. Okay, <laughs> a but little the, bit this, is, this is how vague this this stuff is. Yeah, okay. and then we also have okay. warriors in procession, right? This this is one of the Odinic imageries. We've got warriors who seem to be lining up, all holding their shields with their swords up in the air like this, walking or looking towards this scene. Um, okay, well, I mean, I get. I guess I would kind of go back to what you were saying before about this being the military, the kind of elite that would do yeah. this. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want to jump into that and kind of. Because I, I find that really interesting because I guess I just assumed it was some sort of punishment for the for the really naughty. So if you'd be <laughs> if you'd been if you'd been particularly bad, then this is this is what you got. If you're a pretender to the throne, you are really naughty, right? I mean, that's that's. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't disagree. It is. It's a revenge ritual. Um, mm-hmm. But being really naughty in this instance seems to be you killed my father or my brother in a really shitty way. Um, like it's so, so people have been saying for a long time, it's, it's seems to be triggered um, by the death of a male relative. So uh, in, in like in one instance, it's a blood brother who gets killed and the killer of the blood brother is then subjected to a blood Eagle. Um, there's another, another case in, in the Orkneys where um, a Norwegian prince for want of a better word um Burns uh, burns a local jarl to death in his hall in in Norway, and sails out to Orkney and tries to take over Orkney and fails and is captured in battle and he gets blood eagled. Okay, but the the local jarl in in Orkney was the son of the guy he he murdered back in in Norway. Um, 
So it, it really seems to be a revenge for dead male relatives. But what's not been spotted before, and I think is quite convincing, is that these dead male relatives, with like one or two exceptions, they don't die good deaths. Like not that any death is good, right? But particularly in in um in a like a military elite setting, it's there's an honourable death or a good death or a more desirable death um, than others. And most of these guys who who are the, the trigger killings, they die in really bad ways. Like the the guy who gets murdered in Norway, he's burnt alive in his hall. Um, the uh, the blood brother who gets killed, he's made to do the fatal walk, which is another one of these uh, Viking tortures of dubious historicity, which is where your stomach gets cut open and your guts are pulled out and they get nailed to something, usually a tree, and then the victim is made to walk around it. Uh, and in doing so, you're pulling your own guts out. <laughs> put, put a pin in. Put a pin in that. I want to okay. hear more about okay. that one. <laughs> um, um, but 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 basically, there's these there's these these kind of dishonourable or I don't know maybe unmanly or just generally not a nice way to go. And and then once I guess, I guess yeah. So so to interrupt. I guess for me, it feels like it's almost um, maybe they've gone in ways where they haven't been able to defend themselves. In battle, almost. I guess I don't know whether it's linked to the whole kind of going to Valhalla type type situation, but it's almost like getting burnt in your in your hall is it's sneaky. It's done. It's done where it strips away your ability to to protect yourself and to fight and to defend yourself and and have a fair chance. Almost, it's it's very underhanded and and it does. It is just a bit of a horrible way to do it. It's not kind of what you would assume to be kind of quote unquote Viking, which is very much face to face, man to man, hand combat almost. Right. And and just like people today, uh, you know, in the military or in, in uh chemsport, uh martial arts will will talk up, you know, the the kind of honor of, of fighting in a fair fight and all the rest of it. Of course, in reality, some people would have been like that. Others would have been exactly as you say. They would have taken every advantage they got. They would have burnt people alive. They would have stabbed them in the back. They would have, have uh, killed prisoners and things. And and that was regarded back then to be just as terrible as we regard it today. So you had both the kind of the ideal that some people lived up to or tried to live up to, and then you had people who just didn't even bother um, yeah. and did whatever was necessary. And it seems to be those that latter group, the the sneaky guys, the the, the naughty guys who get blood eagled. <laughs> Okay. So, so it seems to be this. Um, you did something really bad to a, uh, a, a man in my family. I'm going to do something really bad to you, the blood eagle. Okay. Uh, and that's what I think we're talking about earlier. It's not the, the necessarily the showing of the body afterwards. I think it's the doing that matters. So, could it be almost like a disrespect of the body? I guess, like some some cultures have that idea where you. I guess. I guess what comes to mind would be the Egyptians, where it's you take your body to. So I guess to like the afterlife. So it, it, do we know that? Is that kind of like similar with kind of like Norse mythology? Would you, if your body was defaced in life, would you kind of take that with you? I wouldn't say so, no. Um, but they did do some weird stuff with dead bodies. Um, so there's there's some practices where if they were worried about ghosts coming back, and for, for the Vikings, a ghost seems to have been more like what we'd call a zombie. It's more like, kind of a combination of our ghost and our zombie. They knew who they were. They'd got an agenda, uh, but they were physically present and they were really strong and hard to kill. Um, but there are some cases where people have been buried and then a little bit later, the grave has been opened up again and extra heavy rocks have been put on the body, presumably to keep them in place. And then they've been reburied. 
Um, okay. So there, there is a concern with what happens to the body afterwards, but it's there is a distinction. Like you, you go somewhere else and you leave your meat behind. Seems to be the. I just seem to have been a common one at least. Well, that you want to jump in on that? We have some interesting, curious uh, uh, burials and and other other things that have happened to bodies, right? Um, in, in the Viking Age, uh, Denmark is the, the the place that I'm most familiar with in that regard. Um, uh, we of course have like those two men who have been sacrificed or punished. Um, executed basically a teaser in uh, in in Denmark right and um, in I think in there in, in the ninth century if I remember correctly so two individuals that have been um, basically uh, uh, thrown in I think it's in a, in a, in a like small river um, put in the river the bodies decapitated and then they put the heads between the legs and you kind of have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? That uh, yeah, <laughs> and it, it seems it does not seem like it, it was it was intended to be some kind of like uh, a honorable way of, of of going into death with your mm-hmm. the head between your legs. But you, um, you bring up an, an interesting case because there's the pig face lady. Um, mm-hmm. So now I now I want to hear about this, right? Okay, <laughs> so. So this is is uh, the technical name is Berka nine five nine, which is the nine hundred and fifty ninth grave they excavated uh, the the site of Berka, which is on an island um, in Lake Melan in Sweden, uh, which is this huge kind of like proto urban center. Like just before they really got towns and stuff, they had these trading centers. Uh, in England, they were called Wicks. Um, and this woman was super high status, like she's buried with, you know, fancy clothing and really fancy jewelry and expensive tools and stuff. She's clearly really high status, the sort of woman who might have been married to the type of guys who were doing blood eagles to each other. But she's been beheaded. And so you wonder, OK, hang on a minute, she's been beheaded is because she did something bad. She screwed up. She offended someone. Then why have they buried her with all of her fancy stuff? Why have they given her such an honorable burial? And the reason I mentioned the pig is because her jawbone is missing. Um, now, she was beheaded. It might just be that the jawbone was shattered or destroyed when what was presumably an axe came through. But mm-hmm. what they've done, they seem to have provided her with another jawbone, a pig's jawbone. So if you if you think that this was done when she was buried, so she's there with, you know, her from here down, she's fine from the neck down, then from kind of the cheekbones up she's there and then in the space in between it seems they've put like half a pig's face um to plug the gap almost okay and like what does that mean we have no idea it might not have meant anything it might have been because someone thought it was funny um <laughs> you know it, <laughs> well they, they, that's true i guess it, it could be it could be that or i guess it could be like trying to complete Maybe a family trying to complete the body yeah. in some way. Um, well, it's, I mean, stuff like that's so fascinating. It could be almost anything. Yeah, and there are some weird things happening with bodies. Like, um, I think it's uh, one of the wells in one of the Herald Bluetooth's uh, ring forts um, where we have found what is it like a, a, a chopped off hand uh, and a uh, head. You know, just like random body parts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can always theorize, oh, this has something to do with like a crime that was committed. Um, like, for instance, trying to 
I don't know, uh, hide the identity of a person by taking their head. We have so little access to actually knowing what went on in the heads of these peoples. Um, we just know that they did a lot of funky stuff with people's bodies back then. And, yep. and there's got to be some kind of like ideological, mythological underpinning to, to that. Something that explains why that happens. Yeah, agreed. I mean, from a like an outsider's perspective, it almost feels like the Blood Eagle and some of the other ones you've mentioned. It, it's kind of like almost like a gang killing, in the sense of that maybe, maybe the the punish you know the punishment or the defacing the bodies to fit the crime that you did. You know, kind of like the mafia used to cut your testicles off and stick them in your mouth, or like the Colombian necktie where you'd slice the neck and pull the tongue out through the gap for snitches. It's that kind of. It's not just killing you. It's it's the it's the defacing the body and mutilating the body. The one sends a message to others, but also two is it's just pure disrespect. It's like you disrespected us, so we're going to disrespect you in and kind of like the the death is not just as simple as a, a bullet to the head or a, a knife to the to the heart or whatever. It's 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 the ultimate kind of it is disrespect, I guess. Well, maybe. I mean, we don't know because. I, I agree with like ninety percent of of what you've just said. I, I love the analysis with with uh, uh, analog with gang killings. That's brilliant. I've not thought of it. Um, but the one thing that the Blood Eagle does, it, like it's only the martial elite, the military tip of the spear, the the rulers who are doing this to each other. So if you do this to someone, you're kind of tacitly acknowledging that they belong to that same class as you, right? Okay. So it's a little bit like the woman who was beheaded and then buried with all her fancy stuff. So sure, she might have done something horrendous and therefore been beheaded, but you still kind of you didn't like toss her body naked in a in a marsh or something. You gave her the fancy burial, the, uh, the fancy kind of grave goods and everything. It's it's a similar thing with the blood eagle that you wouldn't, as you say, you wouldn't take this do go through all this effort unless there was a reason for it. But part of what you're communicating, whether it's it's I've revenge my i've avenged my father or don't cross me snitches part of what you're communicating at the same time is this dude used to be one of us but that's that's almost what like gang stuff would be as well though like with with the mafia when you know when they would cut like say they cut your testicles off and shove them in your mouth that was kind of like you were one of us but we're going to ultimately disrespect you now because you've You've done whatever to cross, and then you're not part of this anymore. I guess. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, I was just pointing out that, like, from the outsider's point of view, from like me, I've nothing to do with with gang stuff uh, in real life. Like GTA is the closest I get. Um, <laughs> if if like if I came across this in real life, I'd be like, whoa, uh, you know, what the fuck? Um, yeah. But but then I would still see both the victim and the perpetrator were gang people. You know, in in these terms. Um, so you you you're kind of partially throwing this person out, but at the same time you're acknowledging they belong to you. So I don't think we disagree. Um, no, no, I, it's just like say it's me from like completely from the outside and that's all just kind of where my mind goes automatically is that it's, you're going through all this effort and there must be a reason for it in the fact that you, you it's, it's all I mean to, to, you know, to send a message, but it's also kind of like, does it fit the crime and that it's like a disrespect almost after in some that you've done something so bad you have to be disrespected yeah um and that 
that I think is is spot on. I mean, it seems to be these these weird trigger killings. Uh, so we had the um, the fatal walk, we had the the burning to death, we had one guy is, thro- is thrown into a pit of snakes. Um, I, there's a fourth one. What's the fourth one? I slipped my mind. Anyway, um, there, there's some weird killings that that kick this this blood eagle off. Okay, um, so we've kind of established that it's possible. Technically, yep. Not obviously not to the extent of the 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 beating kind of lungs, but I guess the next thing is, do you think that it happened? I know you said there's some debate about that, but I mean, maybe in your opinion or kind of what you've learned, do we think that? Do you think that it did happen to somebody at some point? Okay, or? so so here's the short, honest answer. I don't know. Okay. Um, but what, it's complicated. It's complicated. Is the one that we usually use on here. Oh, fair enough. It's right. <laughs> it's complicated. But but what we set out to do was was to basically disprove it. Um, we we decided like right, this sounds so stupidly extreme. We don't think this is is physically possible. And then we worked out the business with unzipping the ribs uh, and stuff like that. Um, and then we we had discussions about what sort of tools people would have used and and the the options for that, and we can go into that if you'd like. Uh, so anatomically, as we as we've established, it's possible. Um, and then we also looked at okay, so like socially, is it is it acceptable? Is it kind of is it okay to to rip a rip a guy's ribs out and and pull his lungs and all the rest of it? Um, and sure, it's not normal. It's like a really extreme case. But as we've been talking about the whole way through so far, it it it's an outlier to a lot of other trends that are going on, that bodies are getting displayed, that you are are doing weird things to bodies in the first place. Right. So, so um, one of the, uh, one of the texts, so several of the texts actually don't have the guy who's been offended, who's lost a, a male family member. They don't have him doing the blood Eagle himself, but it seems more normal that he didn't do it himself. He, he had um, like a, uh, I've forgotten the word. Sorry. I'm getting tired. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, right. he, he'd got a retainer. Is the is the word we use in academia? Like, uh, if this is a gang, he's got one of his one of his mates to come in and do it for him on his behalf. Um, not because he's weak or anything. He's he's having it done. It's the same thing. But he's getting like a lieutenant to step in and do the dirty work. Um, okay. And what's interesting is that in one of these, most of these texts just say, "and it was done." Right? That they use a passive construction. Um, but in a couple of the texts, it's, it's quite explicit who did it. Um, and one of them is a guy called Reyin, who is a famous mythological character. He's a dwarven smith. And, and smiths had all sorts of skills, right? So so the, the lord, the warrior lord, is going to surround himself mostly with other warriors, but he's also going to have some of his, his hangers-on, some of the guys in his crew are going to have specialist skills. There's going to be the skald, the kind of, you know, the the poet, the propagandist, the the rapper, however you want to think of him. He's the guy who sees what you do and tells everybody about it. He's your PR department. There's going to be the the smith who looks after your gear, who uh, unbends your sword, who sharpens your your um, your knives, stuff like that. There's the, him as a kind of technical specialist. And there's probably going to be some sort of, of priest as well and or, or ritual specialist. And it might actually have been that for a lot of these guys, the the, the warrior lord was the was the kind of priest specialist, was the ritual specialist. But there might have been a separate guy as, um, in some cases. The smith then might have been the person who did medical stuff, potentially. And I, I'm speculating here. I'm, I'm definitely reaching. But um, one way that the, basically the only way you could make steel or, or kind of hard iron um, in INA Scandinavia was by burning human bodies. 
was by cremating a human body and using the fat that burned off a human body to get the fire hot enough to make carbonized iron to make uh, and then maybe some some soft steel um so smiths definitely were mixed up in doing weird stuff to dead bodies they were definitely mixed up in dealing with dead bodies and they were they were skilled with with tools which you would have needed a certain level of skill um, to pull off a blood eagle. I mean, sure, some of it's just brute force, like cracking ribs and stuff. You might need two people to crack a pair of ribs open, but anybody could do it. Um, whereas as like skinning the carcass and then cutting muscles off, you would have needed some familiarity with butchery and stuff. Maybe that wasn't a smith, but anyway, smiths have got technical skills. Um, the other person that's, that's named who steps in is, uh, it's a really weird word, even in Old Norse, and it means uh, it's otakaster which is the person most skilled with a point. Okay. Even I, I'd, even I had to look that up. I was like, what on earth is this? Um, and it's like literally that the word is just built up of bits that mean most point skilled. What? Um, so so I, I looked up like in the dictionary, these other places that it's used and it's basically used of carpenters. It's the person who's good with a chisel or a knife for carving stuff. Um, and the only other place that this the superlative form, like not just someone who is skilled with a point, but someone who is the most skilled with a point, is a bone worker, someone who was carving ivory uh, from a, a walrus tusk. Um, so maybe we're dealing with with a body modifications person. Like we we've got lots of circumstantial evidence that in the Viking Age people were tattooing themselves. We've got literal evidence they were carving lines into their teeth. So mm-hmm. body mods were a thing in the Viking Age. Body mods, as we think of them today, like there's this group of related practices of piercings and tattoos and stuff. Um, maybe in some like kind of warrior bands, there was a dude who was into body mods. Um, and then doing this sort of stuff, whether it was medical treatment or torture or both, this was part of his responsibility. He was like the platoon medic or whatever, who also tortured people and did you piercings. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds really weird. Um, no, actually, used- I, I, oh. I have to say that it sounds uh, it sounds very acceptable to me because, yeah, as I think you were just about to say, um, well, in modern times, these institutions and offices, they're all split up. But back then, uh, people weren't that specialized where, you know, it was the smith who would pull out the tooth. You know, in the village, in those kinds or, of things. Mm-hmm. So. Or it was the barber who'd take out your appendix because it was barber surgeons, right? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so scary to think about, though. <laughs> the barber taking out your appendix. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody creepy. <laughs> but but the, po- the point of all of this was to say that, yeah, the Blood Eagle's extreme. Um, but it seems to be in line with a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of other evidence for similar things going on. And this is just a bit of an outlier. So did it happen? I don't know. Could it have happened? Yes, absolutely, is my opinion. Um, and there will okay. be, be some scholars who will look at all this evidence, myself and my co-authors have pulled together, and just not be convinced and say, could it have happened? I don't think so. And um, and that's their right. Um, I, I hope most of them. I hope most of them will be convinced. I know some of them are not. Um, I think but, I know some some of those who won't be convinced. <laughs> uh, I, the, the problem is for for me. I think like anything is possible because like it's to, to kind of to take you back to gangs again. Not that I'm an expert on gangs, but you you only have to kind of look at some of the things that they do to each other, and it is even by today's like today 
some of the killings are absolutely horrendous. Like it's 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 because it, it is to send a message, is to do the most horrible thing they can think of to then say, you don't fuck with us because this is what we will do to you. And and it's barbaric. So people are capable of doing the most heinous things. Completely so agreed. If a blood eagle is technically anatomically possible, then the chances that someone could have done it at some point throughout history. Well, see, there, there's there's more to that as well. It's like it doesn't even have to be gangs. Um, we see these kinds of actions happening in, you know, uh, revolutions or civil wars or, uh, you know, any kind of uprising where, where people just do some, some incredibly... Uh, yeah, horrendous things to uh, to other people, right? So, and th- thinking in, in the long term as well, like by by the standards of humanity throughout history, we are remarkably well adjusted, right? Very few of us experience violence on a regular basis. By our standards, everyone in the Viking Age, just like a lot of say gangs in the Brazilian favelas, they've all got what we would consider high grade PTSD all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They are all you know doing horrendous things and being praised for it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. so that's, that's, that's a normal part of their culture in a, in a way that it's not for us which is one reason that to us some of this stuff seems really shocking yeah I mean you only have you only have to look at what the, the Nazis and the Japanese were doing to people in World War 2 to understand like how horrific humans can really be to each other so you know that kind of thing can go on where you know you're sewing other people's arms on bodies just as an experiment then i don't see i don't see how anyone can say it's impossible so i think that some of that comes from the fact that some historians are what we'd call positivist basically they won't believe anything has happened until they see the evidence for it um and they will say we don't know or i i don't think so um and with vikings in particular because vikings are so so widely popular and they have this popular reputation for being super bloody and super violent a lot of scholars have to spend a lot of time explaining that no you know they were ordinary people most of the time they weren't stabbing each other um okay i know i'm I'm maybe undercutting a little bit what i just said about everyone having ptsd um but you know even the most bloody viking who went off raiding spent nine months of the year on his farm raising sheep um yeah uh, and there might be the occasional stabbing over like grazing rights that totally happened um but most people weren't uh, these these you know bloody warriors full time, and so so these scholars are fed up of they've spent the last you know, their entire career fighting back against this idea of, of Vikings as nothing but bloody killers. Um, but we also so have, I, I can understand where they're coming from. Sorry, Gomez. We, we also have another aspect of this, and that that's uh, you know us Scandinavians we, we would like our ancestors to seem a little less <laughs> less psychotic uh, a, little, a little less uh, barbaric you know um, that's definitely also part of it uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing in, in scholarship in, in general um, you know certain you could talk about scholarly communities I think so certain communities are are more uh, 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 aware and w- worried about those kinds of uh, ideas about their their distant ancestors, um, and uh, and so so I could also see how how it would be uh, rejected from simply just like a knee jerk reaction, and that that has something to do with oh my identity. I mean, some of it is also generational. Um, so like we've got a massive wave of Viking pop culture now, right? Vikings are in again. Mm-hmm. And the last time they were in like this was the eighties. 
um, when like the, the predominant ideology in the Western world was kind of, you know, hardcore capitalism, everybody's a rational economic actor. And so the Vikings in that wave of, of pop culture, they were, they were traders more than they were raiders. And they were, they were savvy businessmen who ripped off the Christians and stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and scholars who, who came up during that period and had their kind of their, their early interactions with Vikings in that period are shaped by it. Just like undoubtedly Matthias and I are shaped by the, the present wave of Viking stuff, which fully embraces you know, the blood and the chaos and, and the violence of the Viking age. And it might be that, you know, if Matthias and I ever have students of our own in, in 20, 30 years time, um, they're being taught something completely different and they find us old fashioned and fuddy duddy. Um, Probably yes. I, I'm pretty sure I already have students who consider me that, but um, you know, basically, the ideas change is what I'm saying. Um, and because of that, they're not only across geography, but as you talk about Scandinavians having a particular opinion, I think different generations of, of scholar will also tend to have more common opinions. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, you know, actually, it's it's funny that you mentioned this in in Scandinavia. We in the '60s had a tendency to, uh, or we had a, a lot of scholars who had a, you know, this is this is why nowadays when people are like shouting Marxism at everything, I'm like. You don't even know what you're talking about. Go back to the <laughs> 1960s and and read historical research from Scandinavia. Now, there is some Marxism for you. <laughs> they had Vikings like, seizing the means of production quite literally at spear point. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, like this, this, all these ideas of like, uh, um, you know, the, the the farming communities basically being being like little uh, uh, communes and and stuff like that. That was that was prevalent back then. So, yeah, no, I, of course, like uh, um, different time periods have different uh, 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 the things they want to focus on and, and, and aspects of, of a very complex culture that they want to um, bring to the fore and say, this is exactly what defines these people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, Luke, I guess how, like, how common would it have been if, if it happened? I guess... What I'm thinking is maybe even if it even if it happened once or twice, that if it's that barbaric, it would be something that would live on through through story anyway. If there was just one Jarl somewhere or one king somewhere that was particularly mean and he did this to somebody, then I feel like that is something that would kind of be told through stories and then bring its own life almost anyway. So even if it was just a one-time thing and it wasn't practiced by everyone it was just this one twat that did it i totally um and yeah i couldn't agree more with you uh so you know i said earlier we've got these uh these nine uh descriptions from across three centuries those are nine descriptions of four cases there's only four blood eagles that are alleged to have taken place by these written sources one of them is fictional like explicitly so um it's it's not two kings doing it to each other it's like a heroic icelandic viking uh, viking warrior doing it to a supernatural troll who rules an island right there's no way we're claiming that's historical so even if we were the most like we believed everything these things said we took it very literally there would be three three blood eagles um so i completely agree that 
a little bit like what uh, Roberta Frank, the scholar who was like, oh, this is all just poetry that's been misunderstood and then has gotten a life of its own and the story has gotten bigger and bigger as time's gone on. Um, I totally agree. This might only have ever happened once, but because it is so cool and extreme and bloody, it's become like this motif that gets attached to different legendary kings and legendary villains. It's, yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of almost a thing that just spreads like wildfire almost. It's like, you know, if you if you were there or you heard about it happening, it's like, fucking hell, that's so insane that you're going to tell whoever you meet for like the next week and they're probably going to tell everyone they meet for the next week and it's just going to spread out until everyone's like, you know that guy over in the next village? Like, did you hear what he did to somebody? And I feel like it just passes on to and then becomes the norm almost. And, and you know what? It, it might not have ever happened, but you might have had Vikings who believed it did. Just like, um, so, I mean, the, the, the positive case is that uh, the Colombian necktie, right? We've all heard of that. We all know what that is. None of us have ever seen it. No, none of us have ever known someone who's seen it done, but word has spread and we all accept it. Yeah. And, and in this instance, they have been photographs and stuff. And I'm trying to think of another case where, like an urban legend or something, where we all believe someone did something or a thing has been done and it didn't. Um, I can't think of I think yeah. the one for me that, that kind of comes to mind and this is just one that I remember from a kid anybody that's ever been on Creepypasta remembers right. that website and the one from me was the, the Russian guys who apparently stayed up for a week solid and there was this article about how in Russia they'd come up with this this chemical that meant people didn't need to sleep, but after seven days they went insane and one of them killed the rest. And there's like these weird pictures that had been photoshopped. And that was one that kind of always stuck with me. And uh, but but it spread kind of around the internet as being real. And it was almost kind of like because you didn't see and you didn't know about it, it was kind of I guess it could be possible. Right. Um and, it, and people assume it's real until you kind of Google it a little bit and go, oh fucking hell, that's not actually real right that, that's exactly what i'm getting at and I, I'm, I'm sure the back of my head there's, there's some sort of example of some grisly murder that is alleged to have taken place and and didn't actually but everyone thinks happened and i can't remember what it is but that kind of urban legend isn't necessarily something that say christian monks made up about vikings because they weren't godly enough um that's totally possible that some vikings are telling to each other um oh you know well my ancestor did this oh well don't go up to norway because they'll do this to you um you know yeah, <laughs> don't go to Norway. You'll get blood eagles. <laughs> That's a pretty severe way of like deterring your kids from going to a place you don't well, like. This is this is what happened with that Icelandic hero and and his blood brother. Right, As the blood brother gets a prophecy: you must not go to Norway. If you do, you'll you'll die a bloody death. And he was like, I don't believe in prophecy. And what happens? Uh, you know, a troll that lives under a mountain rips out his guts and makes him walk around them. Um, so, yeah, he died a bloody death. So, you know, be, be careful with Norway is what I'm saying. Matthias, you say that, but, I mean, I, I have a story that my mum used to tell me that her mum, so my grandma, in, in Huddersfield, where I'm from, there's a place called Lion Chambers, and on top there's a giant kind of, I guess it's a stone lion that's always sat there. You kind of know it has been a piece of, of Huddersfield, and I guess you can Google it and, and find it. And... What my grandma used to say to my mum when she was young was that if you stayed out after nine o'clock in, in the town centre, the lion would come down <laughs> and kind of chase you off or eat you. And it's like parents tell kids shitty things sometimes to deter them. So so like you say, it, it's kind of extreme to say, don't go to Norway for a blood eagle. Like 
my my movie stay at total. The line was going to come here if she if she stayed out after nine o'clock. Fair point. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean I've also been told all kinds of crazy stories as a kid. I mean, so yeah. So so Luke, let's. I wanted to ask about obviously the Fatal Walk. <laughs> I've never I've never heard of it before. Um, you touched on it a little bit. Sounds pretty pretty much up my street, I guess. Uh, well, some of them allegedly did this thing called the Fatal Walk, um, which it kind of didn't really happen. Um, like this one is anatomically impossible. Not like okay. Uh, not like the Blood Eagle, where sure you can do it. They'll be dead within a minute or two, and then you're doing the rest of a corpse. This one couldn't happen, but. Basically, the, the the motif in the stories is that you cut open the stomach and you pull out the guts, um, and then you nail the guts to a, a tree or a post of some sort, and then the victim has to walk around it. And so, like in that that Icelander and the troll story I, uh, I talked about earlier, um, the the victim shows how manly he is and how honourable he is by by composing a poem um, as he does the walk before he dies. Um, which was a really positive thing. Like I know poetry sounds a bit effeminate in, in modern Western society, <laughs> um, but you know, think of it as, as composing like diss verses in a rap or something. Um, he's basically telling this, this, this troll being that's doing it to him, you are such a pussy. Um, look <laughs> at how fucking manly I am. I'm taking this and I'm still telling you you're a dickhead. Um, <laughs> but the whole thing, the whole thing comes from Christian saints of all things. So, like Christians love to tell stories about how how godly their martyrs were, and these martyrs weren't necessarily good people. They were just people who happened to get killed by non Christians often. Um, and so there are some cases from uh, like East Anglia. Uh, there's one where uh, a guy who was later made into a saint basically gets caught by some Vikings tied to a tree and shot full of arrows. Um, and they made him a saint for it. Um, and there's, there's a similar story with then another guy. I thought there's a couple of stories, I think with, with Christians having their guts pulled out and being made to walk around trees. Um, but basically what's, what seems to have happened now looking at this with the historian hat on is that these stories were getting circulated, uh, by, by Christians in the medieval period. Um, and then, so this was stories were, were being told in, in what is today England and maybe maybe France. And then the stories spread out over Europe and they reach Scandinavia. Um, and it just becomes a cool way to torture somebody. And so it makes its way into stories that medieval Scandinavians are telling about their Viking ancestors. And so it turns up in things like uh, Njála, Njál saga. Um, and it turns up in uh, in this Ormstalter, which is is the one with the blood eagle. Um so it, it's it's just a motif like you would see the same. You might see the Colombian necktie in various uh, true crime or uh, kind of uh, cartel dramas on Netflix. Um, kind of the, the motif itself spreads around. Okay, but it's not it's not real. It's not I, possible. I, I like, thought it was. I thought it would be. And we talked about it with the anatomist, and they were like, "No, what? No, of I course not." It- that sounds more realistic than the bloody eagle to agreed, be possible. Totally agreed. Basically, you can pull small lengths of intestine kind of out of the body, but the intestine isn't just kind of floating there. Along its whole length, it's anchored to the walls of the inside of your torso. So basically, by the time you pull much more than you know, a short length out, the, the the person you're doing it to is bleeding to death. Um and and you pull you know too much out they're going to bleed to death very quickly without like super modern surgical intervention okay um and like there is no way that anyone who's got any intestines hanging out of them is going to be able to get up and and walk around 
I've seen so many films where that happens as well. Yes, so have I. And so like, I, I was genuinely like, oh, I, I thought that was possible, you know, kind of. Yeah, that, that is one that I think you do just assume. <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, is there any more kind of torturous ways that we, we heard of or know of? I mean, obviously, I guess you've got the drowning, the hanging, the burning, without saying they're boring it's kind of like i'm just thinking of like these these really weird kind of ways that people would have been killed or punished for things i think these two are the most extreme but the, there's one more that springs to mind for me which is how do you kill a witch I burn her nope, i guess no nope, don't burn up or drown or, or drown. drown drown is acceptable a giant rock yes yeah but what do you, what do, you do before you crush her with a giant rock Oh, um, you, put, you put a bag over her head so she can't see who's doing it. Oh, right. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's so, also because if if they can see, then they can also, you know, they can do things like they can send curses with their eyes too. Exactly. According to the sagas. <laughs> that, that's kind of almost like the executioner putting a bag over the head in fear from obviously the family, like retribution from the family against them for for doing their job, I guess that's, I guess it's kind of like I'd that. I'd say it's, it's more like the, uh, the second world war when they used to execute you know, spies and things, they would give them a blindfold and a cigarette and it was a blindfold. So they couldn't see it coming or something. Um, but it's just something you did, right? You gave people a blindfold. Um, yeah. So, so as Matthias says, this turns up in a, in a few different sagas, often enough and in different, different enough places that it seems to reflect something that probably happened uh, in the Viking Age. And maybe it's connected to some of those graves that have had rocks put on them as well, was that mm-hmm. um, magicians and witches and wizards, you couldn't just stab them. They needed to be killed another way. Like you couldn't trust iron to, to harm a witch or they might know spells um, that would turn your blade, which is probably originally based on the fact that these, these most of these swords were just really crap quality iron and so they would bend in a fight and so you'd like around the edges of most battles you'd probably have a dude with his foot on his sword trying to straighten it out before he can wade back in um, <laughs> that's but, something they never show in the battle scenes that's, that's not in that's not in Vikings and I'm really disappointed <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, that would be hilarious um, I mean I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be the guy with the bent sword to be fair but um yeah but so so there's enough stories of of um magic magicians um having to be like drowned but usually when they caught they seem to stone them to death and people are afraid of of what i guess we might call the evil eye um yeah that by killing a witch or a magician by taking that kind of final blow they would put a curse on you and they'd be able to do so just by looking at you just by making eye contact um and there's some weird stories about sometimes you had to look at magicians were looking at people in funny ways. Like there's uh, something called magical mooning. This is um, basically old women who wanted to, to cast a spell would sometimes like bend over and throw their dresses over their heads so they're naked and they're, they would walk backwards with their head between their legs showing you everything um, and, and make eye contact and, and cast a spell at you that way. Um, Again, did you check this one with the, the, the physicians as well? Because it- I mean, it depends how much yoga these these old witches were doing, really. I think. Well, okay, well, okay. So there we have our our old Norse uh, evidence for yoga. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> well, yeah, for, for sure. Um, Matthias, have you got any that you can add? Kind of different ways, you know, of people being 
tortured or killed, I guess, in the in the Viking Age or in the mythology? Well, I mean, we we do also have. You briefly brought it up, uh, uh, Luke. Uh, this uh, uh, throwing people in a worm pit or in a in a snake's pit, right? It's called right because that's the one that's typically, I guess, attributed to Ragnar. Yeah, is the one that and springs to mind that most people will say happened. But that, yeah, that's the, the one, that, that's that's the dude linked to the blood eagle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so. so and this is interesting, right? Because, like, where would they get all those snakes from? Right. I mean, it's not like uh, Scandinavia, for instance, is is that like populated with snakes. We have like one venomous snake, I think, <laughs> or, or two. I mean, the, the Ragnar one takes place in northern England. I mean, you're that's, a Huddersfield man. How how many vipers were there growing up in Huddersfield? Uh, well, no, there's not. Right. Well, I mean, I, I don't know whether they were. <laughs> Some right. I mean, I mean, we do have adders in the UK. Um, we do have poisonous snakes, and so it's not impossible. Um, and it, it might be the sort of thing that, like, you know, a, a mad king would do to show off how much of a badass he is. He'd have people dig a pit and fill it for go hunting for snakes. Um, <laughs> well, that that hour, I guess, maybe they just collected them from other places. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's there was elephants and lions in the Colosseum. And obviously, they're not from Italy. Well, that's what it's... <laughs> so you know, like you could bring them, bring yeah. them in. I mean, that would have been a lot easier with like the the Roman Empire and the infrastructure of it. But I take your point. Um, like, yeah, fair point that you you could have totally have had African snakes and stuff. I feel like a British viper would just make you a cup of tea. Like it would just, it would just get in. It give you, it give you like a cuddle and make you a brew. No, and, no, I, I, and I think I, it would, it would cuss at you for cutting in line. <laughs> yeah, it would just. I, I can't imagine a British viper trying to hurt anybody. I, my 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 mind is going straight to winds in the willows now. It's like it's <laughs> hanging out with badger and uh, the, that's the it. Frog and I don't know what. <laughs> the badger definitely has a monocle as well. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, the more I think about it, the more you're right. It's totally possible for them to have imported snakes. I mean, there were. Um, like really famous really kind of uh not popular what's the word i want um successful uh like people in in the anglo-saxon church who were africans um so like of course if people can come why shouldn't snakes and animals yeah completely um yeah i mean they're, they're yeah. vikings that they imported peacocks so very true you know, okay. to, yeah. to get yeah. buried with them so yeah you know what the, the more i think of this it doesn't have to be um a british viper it can it can totally be an african <laughs> But I mean, no. This is this has been a fun one. It's I think people really like listen to this because it's 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 a cool topic, and it's been like a fun chat rather than necessarily too information heavy. But I've certainly learned a lot about what is and isn't possible. I'm glad it's been, I've enjoyed it as well. Thanks for having me. So have I. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, is there anything you want to plug or shout out before? you go whether it's on a personal or anything you're working on so or where people can find you social media wise uh, so i'm not big on social media um i do have a website which is luke-murphy.com um and i make an effort uh to put as much of my research on their open access like uh so not not all scholarship is just available for free to anybody um but because mm-hmm. all of my work has been paid for by basically grants and, and university stuff but as far as I, I see it i'm paid by the public so i try and put all of my my research on there the blood eagle research isn't out yet 
um, because we're having some difficulties with some skeptical scholars, uh, which we're basically <laughs> trying to get the stamp of approval from from our peers. Um, and we're getting closer, but it's it's been a long process, but th- that will eventually appear there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll let people know when it is as oh, well. Oh, grand. Thank you. Um, Matthias, what about you? Um, yeah, you can always find me on Instagram. You can find the Nordic Mythology channel on Facebook, where I usually try to remember to post um, uh, our uh, podcast episodes. You can also find me and stuff that I do and blogs that I write on my website, nordicmythologychannel.com. And yeah, aside from that, I just want to plug something that Luke actually also has uh, been a little responsible for. Um, uh, what have I, I done now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that face yeah. then was a little bit like, <laughs> like oh no, shit. No, so I, I just want to uh, plug the um, third volume of the Pre-Christian Religions of the North uh, project. Um, I have written two chapters for that volume, uh, Cosmology and Cosmogony. And, you know, if you if you get that uh, book, you can also read about the gods and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, yeah, Luke was a part of uh, making all of that possible. Um, back oh, in I, did the day. Some, I did some behind the scenes work many, many years ago. Um, but if, if, we're, if we're plugging fun stuff, actually thinking about it, one of the articles, the, my latest article on my website uh, is about British hair goddesses. So you asked me earlier about the Easter Bunny. Um, there's nothing mm-hmm. explicitly Easter Bunny there yet, but there is stuff about british hair goddesses over the centuries so that might be might be worth having a look at <laughs> i think that sounds yeah. really cool <laughs> i think so too but i wrote it so you know <laughs> so yeah you can find you can find me at daniel underscore farron one on instagram uh obviously the company at horns of odin as well um yeah formalities i guess is if you've enjoyed the the podcast please leave us a five-star review and a positive rating that would be great you know it helps us find new listeners find new people to to listen to the show also if you want to pop over to patreon you can find all the video episodes of, of the podcast so you can see our lovely faces as we as we talk um there's also ad free episodes on there i mean we just released the Ina Selvik episode. So obviously the video for that will be on there, which is, will be a fun, fun watch for people. Um, I think you get the videos on the, on the lowest price as well. So, so yeah, and it helps make the podcast better. And, you know, we use all the money invested back in. So you're not getting rich off it. No. I was hoping that meant Matthias would be buying my drinks next time I saw him in person. <laughs> well, I would, no, this, this I'll always buy you a drink, drink buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but not from money made from a podcast. Fair enough, sir. No, Fair no. enough, sir. It's, it's, it's a labor of love, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been fun. It's been yeah. informative. I really enjoyed it. Thanks thank for you. having me. I've enjoyed it too. Take care, guys.